let me quick tell you about Outdoor Class. So Outdoor Class is a subscription-based e-learning platform that allows you to learn from some of the world's most experienced outdoor professionals. Guys like Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, Corey Jacobson are just a few of the individuals sharing their years of knowledge through this education service. Wild game cooking, elk calling, elk and mule deer hunting, they're just a few of the topics already covered with some new exciting topics continuously being added in the months to come, including an in-depth course for myself and Brian Call on all things backcountry hunting. Go check out Outdoor Class Official on the IG or go to outdoorclass.com to learn more. Also, use the code STAHEALTHY to save 20% on your yearly $99 membership. Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health Podcast with your host, Ryan Lampers, a.k.a. The Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. You can follow us at HuntHarvestHealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. All right, let's do this. Hello, welcome back to the Hunt and Harvest Health Podcast, everybody. It's Doc Hillary, and Ryan's here. Howdy. Yep. So we have a guest on our podcast today, Dave Brinker. Obviously, lots of you probably know him. I recorded this podcast with Dave in May, actually, at the end of May. Um, obviously, since the end of May, we have been very busy in, in June. We were gone for most of June up in, at the ranch for the Western Hunting Summit. I should have got this podcast out earlier for Dave because he launched a new podcast himself called The Altitude Show. And he is having unique guests on there. It's basically long format where he talks with friends and people that he knows in the industry, outside the industry. And to tell you the honest truth, I really have enjoyed his, his um, episodes. Actually, the very first one I listened to was the Primos one, and that is a really good podcast with the founder of Primos. Will Primos? Yeah. Yeah, Dave's a, Dave's a really good host on these podcasts. Um, he's, like you said, he's very conversational. Um, he's, he's doing a great job, so I've, I've really enjoyed listening to his podcast. Yeah, so uh, you'll also get the joy of hearing me and Ryan actually on separate podcasts. We want to encourage you to go over there and listen to him. Dave's been a great supporter of ours. He has a song. He's a he's an artist and a musician, a singer, songwriter, and he has performed at almost every single Western Hunting Summit that we've had. This year he performed at the Elk Summit, brought his family, his dad, his brother. It was kind of fun to see yeah. Um, more of his family and he has really promoted us and support, supported us through everything that we've been doing with Stealthy Hunter. So want to give him a shout out for that. And the Western Hunting Summits were successful. Yes. Yep. I call him a successful, it was a successful summit season for sure. Seemed like, um, everything went pretty smooth. Yeah. We had part. a lot of fun. The place where we had it was beautiful. Each weekend was a little different weather-wise because we've had a lot of rain this this summer, which has made it 
beautiful and green. It's made the rivers high. Of course, I'm sure most of you have heard about the horrible flooding that happened in Yellowstone and around Yellowstone, but we didn't get any of that, but the rivers were full of water. We got um, we got some crazy Montana weather, it seemed as if, yeah. throughout the events. We had hot, you know, super hot 90 degree days. We had monsoon type rains. We had wind yeah. for a couple of different days. Usually they, they come up when we're shooting the 3D course, of course. Um, and we had just really all around great summer type days. So uh, people really got to experience Montana when they came here for those uh, four days that they spent with us. Yeah, the best part is that we're really off grid. We don't have cell phone service where we're at. And that's one of the reasons too, we haven't been on here a whole lot is we were just out kind of away from technology and spending time with community, which is what we heavily promote. One of the reasons you should come to these things because it's so enlightening to meet people, talk to people, look around and see people hanging out together and just becoming friends and, you know, on the long range or on the short range shooting their bow and just, just not on social media, not taking selfies, not, you know, um, engaging in or being on their phone with their heads down the whole time. And that's what I love the most about it. That's why I didn't want to leave the ranch. Yeah, Tana said to me when we left, the kids spent the whole month there. And Tana, the last day that we drove out, which was two days ago, she said, Mom, whoever gets to live here is so lucky. Yeah. And I said, I know, honey. (laughs) So it was a place that we all really enjoyed. And hopefully we're going to get to be back there next year. It's an amazing place. Lots of acreage totally different like ecosystems within this ranch as far as like mountainous prairie high sagebrush um yeah very diverse and we we had three different events from the elk to the mule deer to the family camp um we ended with the family camp lots of kids it was pretty cool uh all the kids ended up doing what us big kids ended up doing you know shooting the 3d courses Man, we put them through the riggers on like miles grab. We had seven miles up, seven miles down, 20 targets up, 20 targets down. Uh, The kids crushed it. They did great. And I think they all enjoyed themselves. I know they ended up, you know, everyone that I saw was shooting way, way better, much better after a lot of uh, instruction from um, some of us guys, as well as Joel Turner, who really helped at all the events, uh, getting everybody shooting a little bit better. So I, I really enjoyed that last event. I enjoyed all of them, but that last event was pretty neat. uh, Having the kids out there doing their thing. Yeah, we would, we would, we encourage in the future. I think as, as far as this goes is we may not have a specific family camp, but what we realized is that children really blend into it just like the adults. And if they're willing to learn, I would encourage you to probably bring a child who's over the age of nine or so, unless they're super tough under that age, because if you, if they want to be hiking with their parent, they want to be doing 3d archery shoots. Like they do need to have somewhat of a level of doing these things before they show up. And we kind of figured out like nine seems to be that lower age where the kids are willing to do the stuff their parents that their parents are doing. Um, you get a little younger than that. It can be hard. It's too, it's maybe too long of days. It's too hot. 
And we did have younger children that we had activities for during family camp. I'm, I'm not 100% sure if we're going to be doing that part in the future. But if you want to bring one of your preteen or teenage kids, I mean, we're just going to have them be part of the group of any of these summits because a lot of them sat in on education. They did all the things their, their, their parents did. So we, uh, we learned a lot from family camp about how resilient children are. And it was also really fun to see, like, we had a great group of teenage girls. We had a great group of teenage boys. Um, and it took them a few days to all warm up to each other. And once they all warmed up and even the last night where we had the stone glacier shoot with the, what are those things? The um, nerf discs. Nerf discs. Boy, that just brought all the kids. The girls and the boys are out there competing like crazy, having fun. And, um, yeah, it was, it was great to see a lot of these parents were so thankful because they got to see their, they got to see their kids in action. How, amazing their kids are with learning, taking instruction, and also meeting people. I mean, by the end of the weekend, we had probably kids that, you know, they had a bunch of new friends. Yep. No bullying, none of this stuff. Like, it was just, it was just an amazing Well, again, place. we've said this many times, but I think the people in this community are the best of folks and their kids. Now that we had them uh, bring their kids, we got to see uh, just how like uh, respectful they were and willing to learn and listen. So it's very cool to see that and watch them just grow in the four days they were there. Uh, we had guys that hadn't shot a bow before, and by the end they're hammering ten rings coming down the course with all us big kids doing mm -hmm. the same thing. So um, I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of the kids got a lot out of it. And there are some mm -hmm. kids, 14, 15 year old young men that showed up and they were they were already pretty impressive on their their shooting skills and, and physical abilities mm -hmm. so yeah it was a great time so western hunting summits were again another success that ryan we're, we're already planning for next year we're already planning for what we want to offer and uh we will be launching that sooner than later this year so if you know you possibly want to come and you're not already on the Western Hunting Summit email list, please go to westernhuntingsummit.com and get on the email list. Because with the exception of our previous attendees from this year who are going to offer tickets to first, that's the other place we're going to go. We're going to go to the email list. And if you're not on there, you're not going to know um, if we launch. And, you know, Ryan and I are just so great with our social media skills and our promotionary <laughs> skills that uh, if you're not on that email list <laughs> we may not announce it and you may not be on there so get on there but please go support our uh sponsors there's promo codes all of that in the show notes mm -hmm. uh, we don't talk about them a whole lot on here but please go support them use our codes and um <clears throat> that'd be awesome that keeps our podcast alive actually it's going to be July 4th tomorrow. Have a good July 4th. God bless America. Bam. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't know if there's any actual doctors out there talking about health in the hunting no. industry. So I've got an edge. I you should you use do. it more. <laughs> you do. You do. I should capitalize on it more. I try, but it's it's an interesting group of people to talk to. Um, what you're gonna, what you you know, you've been in the hunting industry forever. Is the is the trust factor with people in this industry is ginormous. Like mm-hmm. if they don't trust you and they maybe don't know who you are. I mean, they probably only listen to me because I'm married to Ryan Lampers. So like. But at the same time, like this trust factor is ginormous. And so um, I think that's a barrier sometimes for people to break through in this industry is like getting people to listen. Well, and and you're dealing with a bunch of stubborn men, right? Mostly because the hunting industry is predominantly male. Yeah. Um, So, you know, telling most men that they need to listen to health advice is, is hard. Um, women seem to, I don't know, I'm totally assuming here, but usually women are a little bit more open to those conversations than men, unless, it, unless it's about getting bigger muscles or like a six pack or something like that. But if you're talking about something boring, like, you know, making sure your cholesterol is low and, right. or, you know, let's talk about your testosterone, uh, testosterone. Everyone wants to talk about that's all guys oh. want to talk about. Yeah. That's the number one thing. That's I because mean, that's because they think it's going to have them have a better sex drive. I know it's like. My platform has been built on (laughs) testosterone. I actually am a men's health doctor now because of Hunt Harvest Health. Men, men wanting all these questions. And I was like, geez. And then Ryan's like, I think you're like a men's health expert now. And now my practice is full of men that heard me on the podcast that um, whatever. And I would have never, when I got out of medical school, like, I was not going to be doing men's health. Like that was not of any interest to me. But now that I do it, um, I actually really enjoy it. I actually really enjoy working with men. And I think that's because because of the podcast, they think they know me, which is good. When you mm. go into a provider, you feel like you have a relationship, right, already. Mm. So they feel like they, of course, I've never met them, but they feel like they've met me. And so they feel comfortable with me and they trust me because they listen to me talking about these topics. That's really helped me get more male patients and and then have them actually tell me the truth about what's going on with their health, which mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of men necessarily tell the truth to the healthcare providers like they should. Why are they so obsessed with testosterone? Well, because men want to be men and... I mean, most men want to be men in this day and age. I don't know. Maybe we're wrong. The media <laughs> shows us differently sometimes. But no judgment there. I'm just saying like... Me- wow, tes- that's a controversial comment. Yeah. Testosterone is the main male hormone. I mean, it's it's high in women too. Actually, percentage-wise, if you look at men and women, women actually have higher testosterone based on their numbers than men do. But women convert most of their testosterone to estrogen. Men only convert a small amount to estrogen. So men, and it's the hormone that makes you feel like a man. It makes you want to win. It makes you want to, it motivates you to do stuff. It it helps your brain with memory and mood. It keeps you, it keeps you nice. Um when men start getting really moody and men start getting temperamental and they start getting angry or whatever, that's estrogen. So mm. testosterone is so vital. And, of course, it's it's vital for um, sex drive. It's vital for erections. It's like things, all these barometers that men have that women don't have, right? Like women right. can fake it till they make it. 
right. men can't. So right. um, we have a, a you know sperm count, obviously too. Like it's important for fertility, mm-hmm. very important because if you have no testosterone, you have no sperm count. Mm. Um, and so, so I think that's why men are drawn to that. I also think the culture is, has a lot of the Google doctor Google stuff, the bro science stuff is big out there. And what's uh, bro science? Like bodybuilders, you know, bodybuilders were like the original oh. doctors of hormones. If you really want to think about it, you know, the Arnold's mm. and all these guys that were, they, they figured out how to build the perfect muscle, you know? And right. if you were a natural, if you're a natural, uh, guy in the sport that's one thing but these unnatural guys who were using um steroids and blockers and herbs and nutrients and diet and protein and all the things peptides now like all the things that we use in medicine actually a lot of it came from the bodybuilding world because these guys are figuring out how to build a better muscle so there's because of google now you know you can go online and basically like (laughs) diagnose yourself with all kinds of stuff. And a lot of it can come back to testosterone, but so, uh, you also have uh, thyroid Hillary, function and adrenals. I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you right now, but I was pulling up my testosterone results that I just got back. Oh, great. I have no problem publicly sharing this. <laughs> so it says the standard range is 249 through 8336 NG slash DL. I have no idea what that means. Nanograms per deciliter. Minus 411. Ooh. Okay, so you have a your lab that ran you. You have a your reference range goes up to what eight thirty seven? Is that what you said? Eight yeah, eight thirty six. Okay, eight thirty six. Um, that's pretty ro- low reference range actually, and each lab is a little bit different. But like the labs that we use, the labs that we use, our range is two eighty to eleven hundred. So. Oh wow! That's yeah, a big so, difference based on your range, you're right in the middle, right? So you're at 411, mm-hmm. you're at 836. That's, that's a little more than half. And, um, you would be fine. So your doctor says you're fine. If yep. I were to use my reference range now, honestly, we'd have to run you probably through this, like the labs that we use, I would prefer to run you through my lab. Cause then I want to see, is that for, for whatever, is it a little higher with the reference ranger, but I think they're calibrating it all the same. So how I look at it. Well, she did tell me that she she, she did tell me that we, because we did it after lunch. She said, if it does come back low, she's going to need me to come back in the morning when my, yeah, when I'm hot. That's what I was going to say. So the reference range can differ depending on the lab, but I would give guys the the grace of going up to 1100. Um, And anything under 600, we would in the functional medicine world would consider low. And if you did mm. not get your blood drawn before nine in the morning, your testosterone goes down over the day. So she's completely mm. right. If at four forty one or whatever, you probably want to go back and get a first morning draw because mm. maybe you're at six hundred or something like that. You can mm. also fluctuate. You could have a day where you're 600 and the next day you're 500 and the next day you has testosterone is a circadian rhythm and circadian hormone. And if you slept horrible, if you've been burning the candle at both ends, if you, mm-hmm. you know, you've been traveling across country, recording music and staying up all night, drinking too much beer, your testosterone mm-hmm. is going to be low, mm. lower. Right. Um, but well, I'm glad it, I, I didn't. I'm glad I didn't measure it after Nashville then. <laughs> I know. That's why I was saying all that. So like, 
I, it can fluctuate. But yeah, you want to always get it in the morning because um, you do. You use it up during the day. It's the same if we do TRT. You know, I typically typically want to get guys to, to inject in the mornings. What's and then naturally, TRT? Uh, testosterone replacement therapy. So you oh, want oh. them to do their dosing. If they're injecting their... I have guys injecting twice a week. If they're doing cream, they have to do it every day, right? Because you put it on in the morning and by the next morning it's gone. So you have to put it back on. So it's a daily application. So you can see that circadian mm. rhythm. Even with TRT, you're getting a circadian circadian flow of how that works. Now, mm. with shots and um, even pellets and some of these other, these other ways, you're going to have a little more consistent elevation. So you're not going to drop as low as you're going to do it naturally, but yeah. Mm. So if I, if I was a patient of yours and I came back at a 411, we'd probably go do another test. And if I was still at a 411, it, it is, is that, that seems low to you if I, if that truly is the case? Well, I always run some other numbers with that. I wouldn't just run testosterone. You need to do, what do you need? I have a whole, I have a whole list of things that I got okay. done. What do you need? What's free testosterone? Free testosterone? Mm-hmm. So let me tell you what I ran. And you can tell me if this anywhere in here because okay. I have a ton of these. I have a, a glyco, glycohemoglobin, a TSH with FT4 reflex, a metabolic panel, a lipid profile, and that's it. Is it with any of those? Or and did then she not? they didn't run estrogen or free T3 or free I don't think testosterone? so. No, I think it was just, that was the only thing that said testosterone. Okay. What was your TSH? Uh-huh. Uh, point three four on a range of 0.27 to 4.2. Are you on medication? Yeah, thyroid? I take Lexapro. Not for Lex- my thyroid. Lexapro? You take, Le- you take levothyroxine. Lexapro. Lexapro? Lexapro. Lexapro. It's an anti-anxiety medicine. Oh, you take Lexapro for anxiety. I was asking you yeah, for yeah, your yeah. thyroid. Do you take Oh, no, I don't take medication? any thyroid. No. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, you take Lexapro for your thyroid? That is the wrong medication. <laughs> Sorry. Um. So, okay. So that's thyroid. Now, your thyroid looks kind of low on the low end. That's why I'm yeah, asking It's definitely the low end. Yeah. Yeah. Did they run a T3 on you? Uh, Yeah. Uh, wait, your, a T3? Yeah, T3. I have a T... Uh, Did you get a reflex to T4? FT4. Yeah. Reflex. Did they run that? Uh, that's what this one says, is TSH with FT4 reflex. And that was but the point. But you were T4. in range, so they didn't run a T4. Hmm. Yeah, it gets kind of confusing. So basically, that's your thyroid function. I don't really know why your TSH is on the lower end. Everybody's different, but sometimes we see that with suppression or too much medication. Um, Mm. But you don't seem... Yeah, that's the only medication I'm on is the anti-anxiety, but it's a really low dose. Well, thyroid being... So TSH being low could mean that your thyroid is hyperactive, so that can cause anxiety. So you always want to troubleshoot that it's not a thyroid issue. Um. That's why you want to run all the thyroid numbers so I can see what your T3 is. Um, and then uh, free t- testosterone is important because free testosterone is the only testosterone that can attach to receptors. So you have a total of 411, but out of that 411, are you under 10? Are you under 18? Are you under 5? 
for your hmm. free testosterone. And then that's yeah. that's how we look at that. There's also a thing called sex hormone binding globulin, which is going to, it's basically the protein that testosterone attaches to, which makes it unavailable to your receptors. So if you genetically have a lot of sex hormone binding globulin, you know, even if you had an 800 testosterone, you could be binding up a lot of your total testosterone and not have a lot of free around. And then so the there's ways to break estrogen. it up. And then you want to know estrogen because yeah. guys are always going to aromatize to estrogen and some guys do it more than others. And lifestyle, medications, um, uh, insulin resistance, inflammation, these things can all increase estrogen conversion. And so, like I said before, anxiety, heart palpitations, uh, quick to temper, really moody, like feeling like mm -hmm. a PMSing woman, water retention, erectile dysfunction, low libido, um, these can all be from high estrogen. And mm. depression, low libido, erectile dysfunction can be from low estrogen in a male. So you want to mm. you wanna kind of troubleshoot the estrogen as well. And I always check that. So you want to get your first morning draw and you want to request an estradiol and a free teeth, a free testosterone. Well, I, I, I love going back and asking for more things. <laughs> I might have you write those. I might have you write I, those I down for you. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I thought it was interesting because, um, and people are like, "Why is he being so open about his medical stuff?" I don't care, folks. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty open about my entire life. So uh, I thought it was really interesting that I sent you that my my triglyceride numbers yeah. um, and my HDL. Yeah. And your response was. Alcohol, carbohydrates. <laughs> I said decrease alcohol and carbohydrates. Yep. So yep. triglycerides are fatty acids that our body makes from a number of things. But one of the big ones is if you eat too much simple carbohydrate or you drink alcohol, it's going to tend to drive that triglyceride number up. Triglyceride is one of the lipids, right? One of your cholesterols. Mm -hmm. And it's typically what's going to cause fatty liver if it's too high. So this is where like alcoholics mm. are notorious for getting fatty liver because they drink too much alcohol. And the body has all this excess fatty acid around now that it can't get rid of. And so it stores it in the liver. And that's the first stage of cirrhosis. I mean, that's pre-stage to cirrhosis. The interesting thing is um, over 30% now of the population has what we call non-alcoholic fatty liver. Are not it's NASH and statoreic hepatitosis or whatever. There's a medical term, but it basically means this is people that are now over obese or have lifestyle issues. Mm. They're not alcoholics. They are likely eating uh, not a good diet with too many simple carbs, and mm. probably drinking alcohol on top of it. And so now they're getting what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver. And yeah, what's interesting about good. my numbers that I was that I was surprised about is. So when I was 24, I'm 41 now. When I was 24 or 25, my doctor said I had fatty liver because at that time, I mean, I was drinking probably like, I was getting drunk probably three times a week at that point in my life. That'll do um, it. Like pretty drunk three days a week. Um, you know, 2 a.m. at the bar and I was overweight, not healthy, depressed, all, all the things. And so I had a fatty liver then. Then I totally changed my lifestyle and I've ever since then I, I that really scared me because they're like yeah that's a, just what you just said it's the first stage of cirrhosis and all these things so I quit drinking completely for a year and ever since then um I I mean I 
it's possible I haven't been drunk since then. I still have drinks every once in a while, but I now present day I probably have three four drinks a week maybe never to get drunk or whatever with dinner a glass of wine here a white claw here a beer there or whatever um and i but i also eat very little car like i really don't eat that many carbs um i really watch it and i exercise and i i think i do a lot of the right things i'm not saying i'm perfect but i really try and so when I saw those numbers, I'm like, dude, if I'm if I'm missing on these numbers, like most of America has got to really be missing on these numbers, <laughs> you know. And then when I look at like yeah. things like the BMI, uh, like the BMI, um, that that chart boggles my mind, um, yeah, as well. So you know, so I guess a lot of this is probably in context, right? Um, yes. Do you do you, and obviously. This is not official medical advice, folks. But <laughs> if is a few drinks is a few drinks a week is a few drinks a week bad for you? Um, so I think this comes down to individuality, and I have seen patients that are literally in their sixties and seventies who drink a lot more then you're drinking and they don't have a good diet and their triglycerides are normal and their liver enzymes are normal. That's and insane. I, and I'm going to myself, what? Now there is some strategic, there is one strategic liver enzyme that I could run if I suspected someone had a drinking problem, because if they do have a drinking problem, it's notoriously high. It's a way to catch people lying about drinking. Mm. Most people are honest with me. Like I don't have any attachment to like, what your choices are. I want to try to help you feel better. And if I'm, <laughs> if I'm looking at your labs and I'm like, um, this looks like you, like if I have to go secretly draw GGT on a patient, now normally they have to pay for it. So I can't do anything secretly, but like <laughs> if I were to draw, add a GGT, they don't know what it's for. I could just say, oh, it's a liver right. enzyme. And I add it yeah. and I see that it's high and their other liver enzymes are normal for some reason. I know mm -hmm. that they're not telling me the truth, that they're drinking too much. But why would mm -hmm. their liver enzymes be normal? And why would their triglycerides not be over 150 or 250 or 300? I don't mm -hmm. know. That's the interesting thing about biochemistry is that, that we take the averages in the population based on these conditions. And we look at it as a clinician based on the research, based on what we see through labs. And again, the reference ranges that we have, there's always outliers. So there's always people that are either going to make a lot of triglycerides from doing like you. You have three drinks a week, you eat well, you exercise. That's another big thing for triglycerides. And your triglycerides still run high. And then there's somebody does none of that and they drink eight ounces of vodka a day and they don't have high triglycerides. That means their liver mm -hmm. is processing all that fatty acid better than yours is. So mm. the individual biochemistry is saying, well, Dave, my guess would be you probably just can't drink. Like it's just not in your makeup and you want to do it because it's a social lubricant. It relaxes you, helps you, whatever, helps your anxiety. And it's just everywhere and we're all diseased and doing it. But it may not be something that for you, your body is really good at processing. And, mm. um, you know, and then it's that's the crazy thing is like it's so, probably explains why I can't do THC either. 
Yeah. Well, THC typically too is CYP450 enzymes in the liver and the liver is also processing alcohols. But yeah, again, these are enzyme functions and everybody has different levels of enzyme capacity. So there are people that wake up in the morning and start smoking pot and go to work and are functional and drive whatever and they're fine. Now, they're probably high and they probably shouldn't be driving, but they actually need the pot to like their brain works better. If I smoked pot first thing in the morning, there would be, you would, this, I would not be the person that you see here. I would not be productive. I would be in a quarter hiding from like the little gremlins (laughs) that are going to get me and paranoid that my mother's going to find out. Like I I can't do THC because I don't process that stuff well. Like I, I sell CBD. I have to be careful what type of CBD I take. That's how sensitive I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm healthy, quote unquote, and blah, blah, blah. So genetics play probably a bit of a role in it. Um, they're not 100%. Mm. And remember, genetics are not something that there are genes, there are certain disorders where you have it and they are dysfunctional genes that are going to affect you throughout your life. Like, I don't know, like cystic fibrosis or something. Like if you get cystic fibrosis genetics, um, you've got cystic fibrosis and that's a pretty horrible disease to have through, through your life. And you may not live to be very long. Right. But we also know there's cystic fibrosis carriers. They don't ever have a symptom. It's two cystic fibrosis carriers get together and they have a kid and their kid gets cystic fibrosis. Mm. That's a bad genetic mix. Right. But there's Mm. tons of genes that we have that are not turned on. They're not being displayed. It's not Mm. like, Oh, I have the genes. My dad had tri- high triglycerides. Therefore, I am going to have tri- high triglycerides. No, that's not always the truth. But if you mm-hmm. do the lifestyle things that push that gene, you start expressing that gene. And that's what we call mm-hmm. epigenetics. And epigenetics is where you start expressing the genes based on environmental influences. So if you mm-hmm. were never to drink and you, you may never get high triglycerides like your dad had, I don't know. But then again, like it could also be something in you, like you're sensitive to carbs. It may not just be alcohol. It may be something within your liver where you store the fatty acid. Again, are the genes being turned on? And I think this is where lifestyle is really important because we all have genes that are sitting there kind of just waiting for something to happen or they're doing other things. They have other jobs they do. But one of the side effects is if they start going haywire or they start they start doing these other things like mm. the APO. APO gene, APOE gene is a good example of that. And you get one from mom, you get one from dad. And um, there's a four allele, there's a two, of, a two, a three, a four. And if you get a four from mom or dad, or you get two fours, one from mom, one from dad, you have a higher percent chance of possibly getting Alzheimer's disease. This is what we call the Alzheimer's gene. Mm. Um, but you can have fours and not get Alzheimer's. So we now know that lifestyle heavily influences the APO4, APOE4, and drinking, bad idea. If you have an APOE4, you should not be drinking alcohol because what it does is, to put it like super simply, it slows down the brain's ability to detoxify fatty things. And we know when you drink, you're creating these fatty acids and then the brain is having these come through and the APOE4 is like a line of military soldiers that stands in the way 
of you being able to remove inflammatory fats from the brain. And so the body starts to make up for that by creating tau proteins and inflammatory this and that. And then it can lead you to Alzheimer's. So the same thing with um, unregulated blood sugar leads to the same problem for the APOE4s. Um, having lots of inflammation in your body. What's interesting, there's an Alzheimer's that's type 3. Uh, it's toxic, and it's usually from heavy metals or something. That doesn't seem to affect the APO4. It's APOE3s mm-hmm. that get it more. So again, genes are there, and, and the APOE4's job is, is a specific job in lipid metabolism. It's very important to help you fight things like malaria. And it kind of came out of places where they have lots of viral infections, bacteria. It's And everybody on the planet used to have it. We all had double fours. And that was because if you stepped on a nail back in the old days, it helped you survive that infection. So in the short term, it's very beneficial. And it helps. These are the people that maybe never get sick. You know, they never get like the virus. They never get sick. They never get that. But over the long term, it's not meant for people living to be 80 years old. Right. Right. Um, because that's that's a newer thing in the history of the world is people living to be 80, 90, 100 years old. So that genes mm-hmm. kind of more inflammatory at that point. So see how mm-hmm. genes can affect you. And that's why everything's different. Mm, yeah. No, I I think with alcohol specifically, there's no question that. I feel better when I don't drink it at all. Yeah. Most um, people. Most people feel better when they don't drink. But that's the feedback I get. I mean, it's just it's just the truth, right? And I think the main reason for I don't know if it's the true for a lot of people, but for for me it's totally true is I don't sleep as well when I drink as mm-hmm. when I don't. Mm-hmm. And therefore it affects all the rest of the things. The next day, even if I just have a couple glasses of wine or something, um I sleep like shit. Well, that's because it's messing with your blood sugars. That's and correct. remember, yeah, so too- it's raising your triglycerides because of your blood sugar situation. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's yeah so basically my, my, my whole outlook on it now is I socially will have a drink, and I actually really like wine. I like a cold beer, and I like, talk, I like hanging out with people having a drink mm-hmm. socially, but... Uh, like during the week, I just don't do it much anymore just because I like sleeping and feeling good. And I work too hard on exercise and stuff to kind of screw it all up and drink all my calories. And I, I've found that to be actually pretty manageable. I, I think not drinking at all, I've done it several times. I just socially enjoy it too much um, yeah. to to do that. I guess if there was a health reason, I would. But um, I just kind of, you know, responsibly socially have a drink or two. And I think that's pretty manageable and sustainable. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because we are talking to a lot of men here, right? Like this is pretty common, like what you're saying with men is like men like alcohol partly because it's a social lubricant. I think it. I think men by nature mm-hmm. are are creatures that are sort of individualistic and they're not like women. I mean, women can get together and not drink and just have a full-on powwow and like talk and gossip and blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Typically. We like to drink mm-hmm. too. Don't get me wrong. Wine clubs are pretty like lots of people are drinking when they get together. It's not just men. <laughs> men by their nature they're drinking to do that and they may not they're they may not be as tuned into their health as women are so you know now because you're the age you are 
where you're like, mm, I just don't feel that good when I drink, but I'm, I'm doing it and I know when to stop. And I, I have this like shut off switch. Some people don't have that. And also I think that we, we just, this is a great example of kind of, we don't listen to our bodies and we think like everyone else around me can drink like this. Why can't I drink like this? Like, and we learn really young, you know, alcohol is introduced into our lives very young. And in many cultures where it's introduced very young, like childhood and stuff, it doesn't tend to be abused. There's something about the American culture where we deprive people of it and make you wait till you're 21, um, probably for good reason, you know, so you're not driving drunk or like whatever. You shouldn't be driving drunk at any age, but there's reasons maybe they do that. But at the same time, it creates this thing. You know how it is. If something's forbidden, you want it. So most of us have mm -hmm. stories where we started drinking younger than 21. And most of our bad experiences were before 21, right? Before it yes. was legal. And before yes. our livers could actually comprehend what we were about to do to them. And, and then it sometimes sets us up for a long time of health problems. Or that's when we also learn wow, I don't feel good doing this. So some people listen to that, some people don't. Um, but it's also a time where we have more propensity, propensity to become addicted because yeah. of we're still forming tissues. Our brain isn't fully developed like all these things. You know, you start mm -hmm. drinking really early. It's like you start smoking really early. You start smoking pot really early. You, you're doing chemicals mm -hmm. really early. You're like you haven't built all your neural pathways yet. So you start building neural pathways based on addiction. And mm. it's really common. And um, yeah, I mean, I started chewing tobacco when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And I started drinking when I was 15. Oh. I had which, I, it, where, where I came from, that was like the normal. That, that was, was normal. totally normal. Yeah. 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 I mean, I grew up going out getting in trouble drinking too when I was young. And I hate to admit that here in Bozeman, but that. Bozeman was not the Bozeman it is now. There was literally nothing going on. There was no activities for children unless you were in sports or you were a rancher, you know, you were in horses right. or something. And like even the ag kids, they were the worst. I mean, you want to get an STD, go to a rodeo. I mean, like everybody's <laughs> got problems. <laughs> I mean, you know, like lots of dysfunction going on in small towns where there's no right. healthy activities and everyone's drinking around you and your parents have been drinking and yeah. it's just like a culture. It's, it's cowboy culture. I want to say like, you know mm -hmm. how it goes. And so I made a lot of stupid decisions young too. And I probably had, I probably had most of my worst alcohol situations before I was even 18 mm -hmm. or 20. So mm -hmm. You know, I'm not proud of that, but I bet 95% of the people listening to this are probably raising their hands and agreeing. With yeah. So it, it's like we're doing that at a very influential age. Like I can't imagine the first time I was drunk was 14. I cannot imagine my older daughter's 13. I cannot imagine her getting drunk, like drunk, drunk, sick, drunk. Yeah. And I don't know what that, the culture like, is now. Like I about that. I don't know if it's still like that in high school, but that's how it was at my high school. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I mean, all those things now. I mean, when I was in high school, we just had alcohol and maybe some pot. I mean, we that was even kind of like, whoa. And people smoke cigarettes. That was another big thing. Chew tobacco, smoke mm -hmm. cigarettes, which nowadays, God, I'm hoping that. But they're still selling cigarettes, so people are still smoking. Oh, yeah. 
And, um, I mean, my daughter's like, why are people smoking? Don't they know it's bad for their health? And it's like, yeah, "Yeah, honey, but it's an addiction. And a lot of these people, again, started young and they, I mean, to quit that, to quit that addiction, uh, when you've been built those neural pathways and that is so strong. And again, Mm -hmm. that's the epic epigenetic component of it. And what uh, smoking is the number one all cause mortality factor for every single disease. I can so, tell you, uh, based on personal experience, that the people that I know that stuck with smoking, that started when they were 14 or 15, that stuck with smoking to, to present day, <laughs> anecdotally have aged way faster than the ones that didn't. Yeah, you can tell a smoker. Yeah. Like, well, especially, especially after 30 years. Yeah. 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 At our age, you can tell the smokers. And... I work with people that smoke and it is a very hard addiction to quit. And even chewing tobacco is a very hard addiction to quit. And, you know, again, I don't have any attachment to whether you smoke or not. I would love it if you quit because it would make my job easier because a lot of your problems would get better that you keep coming and complaining about. Um, Right. Like your chronic inflammation and your autoimmune disease and your weight gain and your depression. Like all these things Mm -hmm. are hypoxic things. Your brain is not getting enough oxygen. So I would love to help you do that, but it's so difficult because most of these people started smoking like literally before, like around the age of 15 or so. Mm -hmm. And it is part of their life. If you've lived over 30 years of your life smoking every day, like it becomes your life. It becomes as natural to you as eating food. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's so difficult and it's, alcohol and cigarettes to me are like the culture that it's created um of of dysfunction abuse neglect um health conditions comorbidities cancers car accidents uh, uh shootings murders you name it you know i'm not saying people who smoke cigarettes are murderers so that was a little hefty for me to say that but i'm just saying these are chemicals that alter our reality and they cause us to do things like even smoking, you know, like you are reliant on this drug to get through your day. And if you don't get it, you're going to have a nervous breakdown or you're going to have a freak out or you're mm-hmm. going to like, you know, have to be locked in a padded room. Like your family has to go through that. It's yeah, not it, easy. It's, so, it and seems alcohol like, is the worst. I mean, we're yeah. going to talk about al- anything. Well, else alcohol is de- definitely a slippery slope. Like, I have friends that can't stop drinking once they start, right? Yeah. I can. I developed that skill when I was in my late 20s. But, like, I know exactly what my line is, and I don't cross it, period. I go to bed. But if you don't have the ability to do that, it's a really, really slippery slope. But the people that I do, that I know that have the ability to do that, they can safely enjoy the benefits of alcohol socially and it's fine. It doesn't really affect them health wise that much, you know? Yeah. And, but that's the problem with it is just like any other drug, if you have an addictive personality or you can't control it, it creates so many problems in your life. Um, but if you can't figure out this, it's just like pot. Like I can't smoke pot. It, I hate the way it makes me feel, <laughs> but I know people that yeah. do it and they're totally fine and they're healthy and they're happier allegedly when they do it and it, uh, you know, but they can control it. 
good on them. I'm, I'm not judging. But there's there's also people that I know that completely ruined their life because that's all they did for like 20 years, all day, every day, and yeah. forgot that they weren't like creating a life outside of that. So it's like I think it's it's definitely chemicals are are a problem, but how how those chemicals are used seem to be the bigger problem. Like and the 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 tendency by humans to overdo things. We are so built. We are so built for. Yeah, well, we are we are built to um, one take these things into our body and utilize them and eliminate them, which is really miraculous. If you think about your liver, and how many years, just let's say you don't drink or smoke, you just live in a city and you're stressed out and you eat crappy food or like you don't ever exercise or I don't know, you jog on the freaking side of the I five freeway every day, like you are getting like your liver is getting contaminated. You know what I mean? And uh, it's amazing what your liver will do. Most people die with a healthy liver, right? Like mm. their, their liver or their liver is dying from a process they had. You can't keep up with it anymore. But like mm. most people die with like functional livers mm. and it's a crazy what your liver and kidneys will do for you throughout your entire life to keep you going. Right. But we are built to, we, we are built, we have nicotinic receptors in our body, which means we have receptors on our cells for nothing but nicotine. Why is that? That's a deep question to ask yourself. We have opioid receptors. We have receptors in our body for these drugs, for these plant medicines. We have receptors for THC. We have receptors for cannabinoids. Like we have an entire internal cannabinoid system. Because I'm not in smart enough body. to I'm not smart enough to know the answer to your question. Can you answer the question? Why do we have those? That's the deeper question of there's a purpose. There is a purpose for why we have these because we are animals, right, that live in nature. And we are influenced by our environment, just like the animals that live in nature. And there are plants and there are substances and there are things that we are going to come upon within our life that are going to, these receptors are going to utilize and use, right? Like animals in the forest, they learn what plants are poisonous. They learn, don't eat that grass or I'm going to die, right? Um, they also learn like catnip, <laughs> They learn the cat loves the catnip because they get high and they have receptors mm -hmm. for this catnip, just like we have receptors for opioids, nicotine, all this. Mm. But if you want to get really woo-woo, why do we have those receptors? Because plant medicines and all these things that are part of our environment and part of creation, they had purpose. Alcohol, the only organ that can detoxify alcohol as a liver and it's done by enzymes and some people have really fast working good working enzymes and some people don't right mm -hmm. and why is alcohol alcohol is a medicine used in small doses it can be a healing medicine mm -hmm. it extracts plant alkaloids and components and tinctures we've used it for millennia to mm -hmm. to to make medicine it's mm -hmm. how, so, but if you drink the bottle of vodka versus you have a couple drop doses of medicine, you know, we, those receptors are there for a purpose to help us mm -hmm. call it whatever it is, expand your mind, increase your health. Um, you know, um, nicotine is a neurotropic. It's, it awakens your brain. It 
you know, um, native cultures use tobacco to talk to God. Mm. So what happens when you smoke, you smoke tobacco, you get high. And in a lot of native culture, and it was only the spiritual leaders, it was only the count, the, the, the tribal chiefs and stuff that smoked tobacco because their job was to talk to creator and to get answers and to come back to the people. Not everybody was smoking tobacco. Now we've taken a drug that as a plant medicine is very powerful drug. That's probably for centuries, millennia been used by humans to have better thinking, to be clear in thought, Mm -hmm. to connect with nature, to connect with God. Mm -hmm. And we've abused it. Yeah, and, and that's we've kind added of my, a bunch that, of chemicals to That's it. kind of what I was trying to say. I mean, you're saying it better than me, but it's like we have a propensity to take things that don't have to be terrible and right. make them terrible. And it's, I mean, you could look at examples in food too, right? Like, yeah. you know, basically any, any, I mean, everything. We take foods that would normally be healthy, like let's say, I don't know, I'm probably going to get bad examples, but. Um, I even think like, I like potatoes, for example, I like potatoes. I like eating a potato, a baked potato with nothing on it besides a little salt, a little pepper. Um, I love that, but I also love eating deep fried crinkle fries with like a half gallon of ketchup, right? Because <laughs> They taste so much better. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm doing this podcast with a friend of mine. He's a chef. And we're meeting this week and we're going to go over some topics that I think are so interesting about food. And because he, he was talking to me about this one day and he was like, why do people love French fries? Because a French fry is just a potato. Like right. if you eat a mashed potato, I mean, that's good. But like if you were right. just to eat a potato that yeah. wasn't deep fried, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But when you deep fry it, it makes a coating on the outside that makes the texture in your mouth. So when you bite into a French fry, you get the feeling of a French fry. Mm-hmm. So most everybody who's eating French fries knows what I'm talking about. It's not that French fries taste so much better because they're different potato. It's because the texture and the feeling of a French fry Mm. stimulates a neurological reaction in you. Mm -hmm. And that stimulates the digestive system and then all these enzymes and all these neurochemicals that then make you crave. And then you add some salt to that. Mm -hmm. Salt is 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 like a glutamate enhancer for your nerves. So you immediately get excited. Mm -hmm. And so you have texture. You feel it in your mouth mm-hmm. and then the taste and then you got the fat and fat is like salt. It's like a, it's like a, it makes your brain want more. And then, so the French fry is like the perfect food that's mm-hmm. so good, but not so good for you. Cause you got all those things mixed in. Now, if you eat a couple of French fries, it's not a problem, but if you eat French fries every day, right, you're going to maybe mm-hmm. get fatty liver. Mm-hmm. So like, But he was telling me about this and like food is such an experience and I think alcohol is the same thing. So like wine, because I know you got your own stuff going on here with Mm. wine and like wino people are insane. Like Mm -hmm. they are, I have patients who like are super wealthy. They got like wine cellars, right? Mm -hmm. Full of expensive wine. They got to quit drinking, dude. Like your labs look bad. (laughs) And you know what? A lot of them just look at me like it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I love my wine. I will yeah. die. I will go to my grave drinking my yeah. wine. That's how my dad so, is. You know what? I'm like, fine. That's your choice. You do what right. you want. But if you feel like crap, 
and you don't want to do this anymore, let's have a conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's something like the texture, the feel, Mm -hmm. the smell, you know, that's Mm -hmm. the thing about like COVID for me, like I lost my smell and it's never been the same. And that just like destroys food, right? It's Mm -hmm. just like, it's not the same experience to like eat something really delicious. Mm -hmm. So um, you're right. You're right. Like we are built for, to go for those things that, maybe aren't that healthy for us but remember the food industry has figured all this stuff out and they are smart they hire the smartest food chemical engineers and scientists in the world and they make it so that you cannot stop eating those doritos fritos oh how good are fritos fritos are so good because they're crunchy and they're greasy and there's something about them like but you can't stop eating them and you know what the the new frito is have you ever had pirate's booty Yes. I can't stop eating pirate's booty. (laughs) Well, it also feels like you're not eating anything. It feels like you're never full. (laughs) You can just keep eating it. I stopped buying that for my kids because they have potato starch in them, I think. Or maybe they don't. But my kids were eating. I put them in their lunches and stuff. And then I was just like, I don't think these are very Yeah, they're probably completely worthless for your body. But they taste. empty calories. Yeah, they taste very good. I don't. I'm glad we don't have any right now because that is. (laughs) But my worst vice is I can like control how much I drink and all that stuff. But if there's a box of Sour Patch Kids in this house, you better get them out of here. Oh, you know, that's Ryan's downfall too. Really? Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. You guys have something in common there. I think it's disgusting. It's just totally disgusting. You mean the way they they taste is disgusting? It's too much. It's too extreme for me. Oh man. I've never liked it. That sour and sweet together, it's like way too much for me. I, I prefer sour over sweet. So I like the sour, but like, whoa, it's too much. I, I, I keep, during archery season, I keep I keep a bunch of those in my pack. They help with quick energy and stuff. Um, but yeah, the, that sweet and tangy are like, is not, people, most people think these are gross, but I love them. Those cherry sours, ooh, those are so oh, good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those aren't good for you. Well, you can imagine, just go back to... Um, Let's just go back to pre-colonialization of the Americas, you know, or um, before before Europeans brought like candy and sugar, white sugar to the Native Americans here. Imagine being a Native American and, you know, you're mainly throughout the year, you're eating, you're eating wild game because that's what you got. If you're on the coast, you're eating fish or whatever, seaweeds, and uh, you're digging some tubers and stuff and you're picking imagine when summer comes and you find wild strawberries and if you've ever had a wild strawberry versus a domesticated strawberry like they are so good right they Mm -hmm. taste completely different than a domesticated Mm -hmm. strawberry like that was the candy that people had back then they would eat that they would gorge themselves on these foods when they were there fresh because they knew like they're going to go away at some point well i've been been trying to reach pemmican and stuff but like Imagine that that sweetness hits your brain mm-hmm. and it's addicting, right? It's the sugar. It's like, it's the, it's the chemical that makes us, again, we have those receptors, like glucose hits the brain and we become loving and happy and all the good things that serotonin uh, does. I, I've been retraining my brain. I, I haven't had candy in months. And oh, um, so every time I have, I have a craving every day at about one or two o'clock for sugar mm-hmm. every day. And so um, I'm just retraining my brain. I just have fruit now. I'll go have an apple. 
or I'll gorge. We just got a bunch of fresh strawberries. I'll gorge on strawberries. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, over time, it to- it totally satisfies the urge. At the beginning, it didn't quite do it. I was like, I was even though I knew I threw I threw away all the candy, I still would look everywhere. There's got to be one piece left. You know what? It's because you don't get the high. You don't mm. get the same high. There's a high that comes with candy that because there's so much sugar, it's such concentrated glucose that like you get that high, but then you usually always get the low <laughs> Then your blood sugar drops and you're like, and you feel horrible and you got to take a nap. But like, it's so different than a piece of fruit. You know, you're just not getting fruit is like a whole food. It's meant for you to process it and get the glucose, but you're also getting fiber and you're getting other antioxidants that are super helping that blood sugar stabilize. I have a, I have a, a really good friend that eat, that has a problem with uh, sleep eating, and oh dear, he he sleep eats Sour Patch Kids. <gasps> like well, then he's got to have no Sour Patch Kids in the house. Right? <laughs> he'll eat like a whole box. Ah, uh, yeah, you gotta if you got that problem. You gotta lock all the cupboards or like not even have that stuff in the house. <laughs> I can't even remember where I hide stuff. I hide stuff sometimes. My kids are like, Mom, where'd you put that? I was like, Oh, I was hiding it from myself. Now I don't even know where I put it. So it's a good strategy. Like, I can't find it. Yeah, you just got to throw it away. Yeah, I mean, I bought a bag of marshmallows for something one time, and like Tana was just going in there like every day and just grabbing a marshmallow. It's like, soon the marshmallow bag is gone. Where did all the marshmallows go? You know, it's like, (laughs) if it's there, you're going to eat it. Like it's, it's a draw and, and sugar is hard. Like I said, we're built for sugar and, um, our brains are, are built to, to love glucose. And so it's just, we just have overconsumption issues. You know, maybe if you ate one sour patch kid, two sour patch kids, it'd be fine. But, you know, you go to the movies and they give you the big old box of Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> oh, that's you, my dream. you got to eat the whole thing in the yes. movie. And then you right? get out and your, your tongue is so raw and bleeding from yeah, all the – Yeah, the top of your mouth is like shaved <laughs> off. It's horrible. Yeah, so, but it tasted so good. Yeah, yeah. It's just – it's a probably it's a self-control issue. <laughs> like we just need to learn better self-control in our, in our culture. We, yeah. we just don't – you know, um, I was listening to uh, – Cam's book came out this week yeah. and I was listening to him on Jocko podcast. I really enjoyed that podcast and I've enjoyed Cam's book. I listened to the audio version. It's a great book, really. Um, I think he's doing a good service of all the hunters and just talking about his discipline and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like you just have to sometimes just like be freaking disciplined, like quit treating yourself like you're not important, right. you know? And like, that's kind of what I got out of Cam's story from his first half of his life is he just felt like he wasn't an important person and Mm. he had nothing to give the world and nobody cared about him and nobody was, nobody was looking out for him. And Mm. he wallowed in that for a while. Right. But then it was like, he just, something switched. And when I think he said, when he had his kids, it didn't happen overnight. He kept drinking and he kept doing what he was doing. He kept getting in trouble, but there was something that switched inside him, you know, that he didn't want to be a loser. Mm-hmm. And it's like sometimes you just have to make that like active decision, you, and yeah. it sucks sometimes. And people will fail. You might fail a dozen times at it. It's like stop, stop smoking. Mm. Like that's really hard to do. The average person it takes like seven times or something. It's it took me to probably it. twenty times to quit point, chewing. Yeah, it's hard. But I just tell uh, sometimes with my patients, you just get to the point where you're just like, you just have to make a decision. Yeah. And you have to do it. 
Like, I can't keep trying to give you things and this and that. And, like, if you don't make the decision to do it, like, it's just wasting my time. You're, you're, you're not going anywhere with this. Like, mm-hmm. you got to find the discipline. And that's where I think a lot of people, going back to Cam's story, they don't feel worthy throughout a lot mm-hmm. of their life. And they don't see themselves as worthy enough to actually take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they start subconsciously abusing themselves for some stupid reason. When we're children, I think we're learning who we are. Mm-hmm. And you, God, junior high, I've got a junior high kid right now. Is it not the worst, awkward, horrible time of your life? Like, I want to go to that junior high and just tell all those kids what I think about them, all those little girls that are being snooty, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, but I remember, I think back to that time, it was like, it only goes up from here, honey. Like, Mm -hmm. it's going to get better. I promise you. Mm -hmm. And, but it's that time in your life where if you, if you don't have people behind you backing you up and parents talking to you about these issues and like teachers you can go to and confide in and you don't have sports or you don't have hunting or you don't have like you're going to start doing things that you're too young to understand the repercussions of. And then at some point you become addicted and then you're going to have to be forced. You're either going to hurt somebody or hurt yourself, or then you have to be forced to make that disciplinary action. And that can be hard to do when you're really young because you haven't really figured that out yet. But sometimes it's just like discipline. You just got to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Disciplines. I mean, by nature of the word is hard. It's hard. Right. I think a lot of people mistake, well, that, because you'll, you'll hear it. Well, that's hard for me. It's like, it's hard for everybody. That's the whole point of it. You're doing something that's hard. Therefore you have discipline. Like it, discipline was never meant to be easy for someone. Um, and I don't think, I don't, I don't think many people have discipline. Um, I know I proactively work on it, but every day I struggle with it in some regard, you know? Yeah. Yesterday I woke, yeah, yesterday I woke up and I didn't really feel like working. Usually I'm pretty excited to work, but yesterday I didn't sleep well. And like I came out of my office at like eight and I'm like, oh, I have no motivation, (laughs) nothing. I have nothing to give the world. Yeah. I blunt forced my way through the day. Probably wasn't the most effective day I've ever had. Today I woke up and I had discipline from right just it was just a different day but both days I, I made sure that I did the things um and but that's taken me years and also seeing parents that were pretty disciplined and friends and now that I know people that are really disciplined I try I mean it's just like going back to the podcast it's like I'm learning so much from these people that really really consciously every single day work on improving themselves and if you do it every single day in the littlest in the smallest ways over the course of time, it adds up. You're like, whoa, I've lost weight. Whoa, I'd be more productive at work. Whoa, I'm making more money. Whoa, I have a better relationship with my spouse. Whatever it is, I think people slip up with it by trying to gain too much ground too fast and they get frustrated and they think they can't do it, right? Um, right. Exercise is the best example. It's like they work out one day and then they go look in the mirror and they still got a stomach or a, you know a big butt or whatever it is. Um, Instead of just working your way into it, doing it over the course of six months, then looking in the mirror and being like, holy shit, look at me. Like, I'm proud of myself. I've Mm -hmm. stuck with it. I just think it's this immediate need for gratification thing that kind of screws over discipline for a lot of people. Um, It's so much harder today. There's so much distraction mm -hmm. and there's so... um, (sighs) I don't know. I feel like before social media, before we could see everybody else's successes, 
you kind of had your immediate circle and mm -hmm. you weren't really looking outside to all these millions of people or thousands of people that you don't even know. Mm -hmm. And now you have like just people you don't know making comments and they're either nice yeah. comments or they're not nice comments or, you know, you know, people are looking at you, you see how many likes you get or how many hearts you get. Right. And, and then you, and if you don't get a lot of comments and you start to think, what I've noticed with social media is it's not very gratifying for people who, um, so if you actually go and what's interesting, if you go and share something about yourself on social media, that's really personal. You will get a lot of comments from your friends usually and people that know you and people that are excited for you, but you'll notice that the interaction isn't as high as mm -hmm. it is in the, in the ones where it's like i'm doing it and it's like this great thing or positive mm. motivation everything's got to be positively motivated mm. all the time and i think the algorithm pushes those so it's pushing you to see things where it looks like everybody has a glamorous life mm. all the time mm -hmm. and everybody is successful you know mm. and like i was i saw some pop up on my phone like a reel with kim kardashian in it and she was in another stupid outfit doing another stupid show and i was exhausted like, I was thinking, you know, I got long COVID, I got to work, I'm tired, I can barely, like, think about. And I thought to myself, God, I wonder if Kim Kardashian ever gets freaking sick. Like, mm. how does she even survive? Like, is she expected to be, like, on stage all the time? This is, like, mm -hmm. the life she has now. And I think to mm. myself, how exhausting is that? Mm. But this is what people are seeing. And they're just like, oh, my life's not good enough. I'm not good enough. And that feeds this already little voice that we have, all, all of us have, that we're not good enough. And I can see it in my daughter's generation and even in me. And we're in the sandwich generation. We remember life without this. So, But it's hard for me to even remember that. It's hard for me to remember what my life was before when I just had my immediate family, you know, my, my parents and my, and my good friends. And those are the only people that really mattered to me and their mm -hmm. opinion is what mattered to me. And now I'm expected to care about what all these people that I don't even know what they think about me. So that pushes people over the edge sometimes. And whether you want to correlate it or not to depression and anxiety and all the things that we have going on right now, it's pretty highly correlated to when you see social media coming in and then you see the rates of these mental issues popping up because everybody's comparing themselves and it's, it's not reality. You you need to be disciplined and you need to do stuff for yourself so that you can improve and that the immediate people around you are not having a shitty life because you are not willing to make changes. That's the most important. Mm -hmm. But like worrying about what the whole world thinks of you and I have a really hard time with it. Like social media sometimes for me, like I just can't even get on it because I just, you know, Ryan's like, screw them. I don't care. They don't like me. That's their problem. <laughs> he literally could care less. I mean, he wants people to like him, but he's not going to change who he is because you don't like him or you don't mm -hmm. like what he's doing. We know that. I'm right. a little more influenced. And so I've had, for me, discipline is staying off social media. Mm. That's discipline to me. Yeah. Or I'm only following people that I feel like I want to follow and that I make you see feel what good. they're doing. Yeah, that or they're real. You know, yeah. I'd like to see Kim Kardashian come on. I don't follow her, but how about she come on and give a real, this is my real day. Mm. Like I got four kids. I got a freaking people living in my house, filming me 24 seven. I can't mm. even go to the bathroom by myself. You know, mm. I can't have a 
boyfriend without the whole world knowing it. I got like, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Like, that's what I'd like to see. Mm-hmm. Like, hello, human reality, real thing. Those are the people mm-hmm. I want to see. Cause then I feel like, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're all in this struggle together, you know, just mm-hmm. at different levels of, um, levels of being watched, I guess. Right. And I don't know, it's hard. And being in medicine, it's, it's hard to see young people. I don't do a lot of pediatrics. I don't do any pediatrics, but I do see some teenagers and 20 somethings and it's hard. Yeah. People are socially becoming socially inept. For sure. They're fearful and they don't know how to get relationships they don't even know how to like get. Boyfriend. Have you ever seen the Have you ever seen the app uh, Conversation Roulette? No. So out in Nashville last week, I was with some friends, and someone said, "I think that's the name of it." It's something like that. Um, and they asked me if I've ever heard of it, and I said no. So she pulled it up on her phone, and it's this app. You pull it up, and you basically like based on certain factors i don't know if you put these the, these variables in or it automatically just throws you into the mix but you just turn it on and then you're on a screen basically with, i'm like looking at a person just like you that's just sitting there and it's like speed dating you can talk to him for a second or you can, or you can just swipe keep swiping until you see somebody you want to talk to oh that's horrible so like the first the first dude that came up he was like sitting in a chair waiting <laughs> And this girl that showed me this, she, you know, she, she's a pretty girl. And like, so she pops up on his screen and he's sitting there and he like kind of smiles. And then she, she just swipes and keeps swiping until she just to show me what it was. But like, I was just thinking about myself, like talk about humiliating, right? So like you just, you're so desperate that you want to talk to somebody. So you get on this app in the first place just to have a conversation. And then people show up. They're like, no, you're not good looking enough. No, you're not tall enough. No, you're not this. At least on Tinder, they can't really tell that you're swiping past them. But on this, right. like you like look them in the eyes. They're like, oh, sorry, man. Not quite my type. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that, that is awful. This is why our this is not healthy. No. Like, this is so dysfunctional. And we are propping this shit up like it's normal now. It is so horrible. Like, no. I am fearful for my children's futures. Yeah. Like, I can't believe already half the stuff that my daughter knows that I have no clue of. I mean, we've been married for 25 years. I went to a retreat in Mexico, a women's retreat, like, before COVID, 2019, and my roommate, she was in a open marriage. Mm. Take that how you want it. And she was on Tinder. I'd never even seen Tinder. I didn't know what Tinder was. I mean, I'd heard about it because we had young boys that used to work for us in Ryan's business that were on Tinder. But I never never even had the app, never saw it, didn't know how it worked. So she's, we're in Mexico. And she's like, I'm going to get on Tinder and see if I can find some hookups. And I'm like, really? She's like, yeah. So I'm watching her do this Tinder thing. And it's the weirdest, strangest (laughs) way to meet people. And then they just like meet up somewhere in town. And sometimes she just meets up and, you know, it's like they don't even have a conversation. Right. And that is, I mean, it sounds exciting in one aspect but in like the other 99% of that aspect it sounds freaking scary yeah and on top of it it's like how strange like and 
this is how people are meeting each other. So her and her husband are having an open marriage. And so she's just going on Tinder and meeting random guys. So she doesn't have to have a relationship with them. So that's what Mm -hmm. I think. So you got all these people out there. They're not really having relationships with each other. They're just having physical relationships Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then, Mm -hmm. then I started thinking, what about the guys that never get like, they never get a date on Tinder. Like how demasculinizing is that? Or like the women that are like the same thing with women. And these are young people in, in the prime of their life when they should be out there making friends. And I don't know. I, it's scary, but I'm an old lady, I guess. I, I just, but I also a doctor and I look at it and I think, Oh dear, honey. Like when I've got some girl in my office crying about how she's whatever, too fat or too this or too that. And I just want to say like, Oh, the world is cruel, you know, like, but this makes it worse. This makes it 10 times worse. And I never had to go through it. So yeah. And it's totally normalized now. Yeah. It's like, I guess conversation, I guess if I need a conversation, I should download that app. Oh my (laughs) God. Hey, you want to talk? I I couldn't, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done that when I was dating. It would have been, if someone would have swiped past me that I could, I would have just got off. That'd been so embarrassing. So here's the thing. Maybe it's a good lesson in learning to have just, just understand that like, a humility, right? You got a little humility. Somebody swipes past you. It's okay. I'll survive it. Someone else, I'll survive it. So maybe you need to do it if you don't have like good. But what if a hundred people do it? Well, then good. <laughs> you need to do something. Like, I mean, most people have things they could probably work on, right? So maybe sure. I can't help how tall you are. You can't help like. Hey, I'm a, like... I'm exactly an average man. I'm 5'10". <laughs> 175 like so i think i would get swiped by but you know you never know i would also never be on that app because even if i was <laughs> even 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 if i was dating um that would not be how i'd go about maybe it maybe i should get them as a sponsor of our podcast now <laughs> <laughs> conversation app? no it's like scary yeah um i don't know the world is just evolving and it's changing and we as humans are not we have we are very bio biologically the same as we have been for so long. Well, that's and the one thing that I talked with with really Shane. Fast. With Shane, the the person I talked to yesterday was Shane Mahoney. Oh, uh, oh I love Shane. Yeah, and no uh, and uh, he was. We talked about that. He goes, people don't realize that we are exactly, not even kind of, exactly the same as we were sixty thousand years ago when we left the the continent of Africa or whatever. So all these with how fast we're changing from socially and like culturally genetically and like our bodies and our minds are still set up to work the same exact way as when we were more animal, you know, than the modern human that we are now. So, because we were talking about like how we, all of us unconsciously, or in some cases consciously miss nature. That's why we put wood things in our house and plants and why we have windows and why we make yards. And he's like, most people's yards resemble the Serengeti. And there's a reason for that because Mm -hmm. deep down we miss it. And like the other thing he said that I thought was fascinating was uh, uh, there's a reason why in most two story houses, the bedrooms are upstairs the reason for that is, is because we used to sleep in trees and we wow. did that. So predators didn't get us. You feel safer when you're sleeping upstairs in your house. 
Um, so we, we start going through all these things, and I can't remember why I started talking about this. Oh, the genetic thing. It's because, yes, we are no different, right, uh, physically. and But we our lives are so much – I was just thinking, I've been sitting at this computer screen since, well, for about five, six hours now. Yeah. You know, probably 50,000 years ago, I wouldn't have sat on this tra- same – tree limb for six hours i probably would have had to go find food and water or and take care of my young or whatever you know um, but here i have been sedentary all day so after we get off this podcast i'm gonna go try to get some exercise because yeah my body still needs that yeah i think those are all things to think about and we just don't do that because we live you know people are just we're just used to the life we have now but just remember biochemically you you are no different than that person on the serengeti and you got to give yourself some grace, especially when you're trying to navigate the world that it is now and your healthcare and all this other stuff. Like do the basic things, right. go out, get some sun, get some nature, like turn your freaking computer off, turn your phone off, talk to your family, you know, um, simple, simple stuff. So anyways, I know you got to go. You're a busy guy and uh, today's my day off. So speaking of sitting in computers for five hours, I'm going to go not work anymore after this. Um, Dave, tell us about your podcast real quick and when it's coming out or if it's out, what's going on? Sure. Yeah. So it's called uh, the altitude show. Um, it's, it's, it's a podcast just about in, uh, life and getting better at life. If I had to summarize it, um, I talk to everybody from professional athletes to, I have uh, uh, a top gun out of fighter pilot. Uh, next week, I have hunters, I have entrepreneurs, founders, mothers, fathers, everything in between. Um, it's going to be awesome. It'll it'll launch June seventh, uh, and that's my wedding I hope everybody checks it out. June 7th. Oh, that's why I'm doing it that day. <gasps> and, and 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 Hillary Hillary uh, I've had Hillary on. I've had Ryan on. I did them separately because. They, they, they both have different personalities and I wanted to have kind of two different conversations with them, but both of them turned out really cool. Uh, I hope you guys like it. Check it out. You can also go to the website, which is altitudeshow.live um, or follow me on uh, on Instagram at Dave Brinker or TikTok, Dave Brinker Official. And uh, I'm going to be sharing a bunch of content from it. So appreciate you having me on, Hillary. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. And we're going to have you at the Hunt and Summit in two weeks, Elk Summit. You're going to be singing there again this year, which we're really excited about. Yeah. And and we appreciate that as always. So cool. Well, have a great day. This was a fun conversation as always. I love talking to you. Yeah. Let's and, do it again uh, soon. Good luck on the podcast. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, Take that you, day Dave. off. I will. Okay. Bye. Bye.